back to the Craft and Career podcast series featuring conversations with professional creatives from the arts, entertainment, and media industries. Here we explore various approaches to craft and career and even consider how those two can sometimes work together. I'm Derek Webster, Senior Associate Director for Creative Careers at Yale's Office of Career Strategy, and I'm happy to pick up where we left off with novelist, journalist, educator, and Yale College alumna, Julia Dahl. Julia, welcome back to the Craft and Career Podcast. Thank you. So we had such a great conversation last time. You were able to walk us through sort of the multi-phased and multi-directional version of, of what you've been doing. And the idea that you're, the storytelling, the early instincts for writing, um, and how different layers of craft were built around that and sort of moved you forward to you know the, the crime fiction novel writing that you have as a primary focus now. Um, but you're also doing these other things, the teaching and you know, the editorial work and, and, and that sort. So what we didn't have a chance to go into in as much depth as I'd like that we can come into for today. First, I'd love to you know, get through kind of a, the more advisory level, right? Like you gave some great advice already, but maybe some you know, t- really specific question answer sort of, what would you tell a, like that kind of stuff. Right. Um, and then we really want to hear more about what you have going on right now, what you have coming up in the future and that sort of thing. So- if we want to start on the practical advice side, could you maybe just walk us through a day in the life, factoring in all the different pieces and knowing that each day is probably a little bit different, but just, just the sense of like, what does it look like to try to sort of sew together the different channels and even the idea of navigating, if we think of the novel writing as being a primary channel for you now, how do you keep that prioritized knowing that there are these other things that you have to do? Well. Do you want to do now or do you want to do like when I was working full time as a journalist? Let's do now. Let's yeah, do now. Okay. So now you gave us a really great sense of the steps along the way, but I'd okay. love to hear how do you keep it working? How do you sustain it? Right. How do you, once you do get a break, get a, right. you know, a contract, like, like those sorts of things, how then do you keep it moving forward? Right. Well, I, I try to have goals, you know, X number of words a month. X number of words a week. If some, I do by words because pages don't make sense to me so much. And and it's easy to sort of, I have a little click count of like, how many words did you write today? And so, so my, you know, my day is I have a six-year-old. So I wake up with my six-year-old. If, you know, only very recently as he started going to school, you know, but frankly, during the pandemic, it was just kind of chaos. And if I could close my door and write for 20 minutes, I felt good about that. But right now, I wake up, I take my kid to school. I usually then go to a local coffee shop and sit there. And if I have, so I'm right now I work as I'm a professor of journalism, an adjunct professor of journalism at NYU. And I also am the career counselor for NYU's online graduate program, graduate journalism program. So, so my work is a lot of, you know, I'm, I'm talking with students. I'm grading or not grading papers because we grade them, but it, you know, it's more like editing their work. Um, meeting with them. And then I meet with students to talk about their career, work on their resume, that kind of thing. So I usually, I try though, at my, like the first, when I first get to the coffee shop to do like a writing sprint, to put my timer on for 20 minutes and try to bang out. My goal is always 300 words. Yesterday only got a hundred, today only got a hundred. So I'm going to try to do another sprint later today. So I try to get that creative work done first, partly just psychologically, it makes me feel better. It makes me feel like, all right, I have made progress on my primary, what I think of as my primary pursuit, which is I have a novel that I would very much like to get a solid draft to my editor to by 
Christmas, right? So that's my kind of goal. And I figure that if I write around 5,000 words a month, I'm, I'm going to, I'm close. Right. So that's sort of what I'm always thinking. So I try to do that early in the morning and then the, you know, the next like five, six hours of the day before I pick my son up from school is a mix of emailing people, grading papers, doing, you know, all the random stuff that I do. I, I've served as a judge on the mystery writers of America every year gives out a big award, the Edgar award. And yeah. I was a judge this last year on that and I'm, okay. I'm, and that's a volunteer position. So I was doing a lot of reading and kind of, and then this year I'm, I'm coordinating judges. So I had to do a lot of judging recruiting. So I do that. That's another great, you know, we talked about community last time I volunteer for this stuff, not because it's going to, you know, frankly make everybody's world better, but it helps build the community that I'm a part of. And that feels like a positive thing for me. And it's the scaffolding that holds not just your community, but other communities together as well. So. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's a different kind. Yeah. yeah. I mean, m- maybe not changing the world in like a public service way, but keeping a healthy, sustainable version of, of this industry. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And that's the thing is, you know, I am a part, I, I very much understand that in my work as an artist writer, I am a part of an industry, the publishing industry, right? You know, and I, and that is something that I've learned a lot about since publishing my first novel, that it's an industry and that, you know, if they, if the publicist and the marketing people can't figure out exactly how to market your book, you're in trouble, right? You know, and you need to be the person driving that boat and figuring out how to get your book out there and that kind of thing. And part of that is through building community with other writers, because we all, you know, when my friends have a book coming out, I'm a Twitter storm of everybody pre this book, everybody buy this book. It's so great. And we do this for each other. So, you know, during the day, I'm just kind of, you know, like everybody, I'm checking my Twitter, I'm checking my email. I'm reheating my co- my coffee all day. <laughs> you know, sometimes I have to go to the grocery store. <laughs> <laughs> but I really try to, I try to have like goals for the day. Like I have a little sticky note on my computer and it's like, you know, I need to finish all, you know, reading all my students' drafts. And then I need to do the, the you know, the job listings for the week. And then I need to write 300 words. And then I need to like, write the PTA poster that I volunteered to write. (laughs) (laughs) And then, you know, and, and the thing is now with a, with a child, like at three o'clock when I pick them up for the most part, I'm, I'm, my workday is done. Often I am the kind of person like that. I need my eight hours of sleep. I'm not going to stay up until one o'clock in the morning working. And I'm not going to get up at five o'clock in the morning working unless it's a major, like something major is happening. (laughs) Yeah. I really set my life up so that I can get a decent amount of sleep. Like, I'm just not a nice person to be around and I'm not a happy person (laughs) if I have not gotten a decent amount of sleep. But I I find that if I have these small goals and if I can accomplish small goals every day, they really add up. And that helps keep me sort of sane and and mentally healthy to be like, all right, I wrote my, even if it was only a hundred words today, I made progress on the novel. And now I can do the other random stuff I have to do. Yeah, that's that's a nice walkthrough. (laughs) Um, And I I, I also like too, that it, it has... Again, with the organics, like it feels like each stage is sort of having respect for and understanding why and, and, and that it, it is all fitting together. And I like that you're, you're you're keeping in mind that some of these things are about the relationship building, the industry perspective, which is necessary yeah. for a number of reasons, but also because it, 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 it's that over, it's that overframe. Of yeah. the fact that this is a profession, this is an industry, um, yeah. and there's there's different hats that we have to wear along the way. Right, and then just to the one thing I forgot to mention is that with the sort of art part, I do really try because I, I mentioned last time that 
so much of making art, writing a novel, writing a screenplay, whatever, is walking around with the ideas and the people, the characters in your mind. And that's hard to do when you have a million other things to do, yeah. right? And so I do really try at least once a week. I'm lucky in that I have my sister-in-law, when my son was just an infant, watched him three days a week so I could work. And now I really try to, on on a couple days a week when she's here, I try to build in a, a couple hours where I can take a long walk. For me, I get most of my writing, like the, I, I think writing is very much, you know, yes, there's typing, but there's also like working stuff out, working right. plot out in your head. And and there's concept and there's language, right? And co concept, you don't have to actually be typing to be building. Exactly. But you have to have it. Like if you sit down to write and you don't know where this chapter is going, that's, you know, people would call that writer's block. And I have a, a friend who's also a journalist novelist. His name is Adam Sternberg. He is an editor at the New York Times, and he's also he's written a, a bunch of really interesting kind of crime slash future like near future novels. And I had him come to my class recently, and somebody asked him about writer's block, and he said, "I don't really believe in writer's block. I believe in preparation deficiency." And 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 I, I that really struck me because in journalism it's true. Like if you don't have your research done, and you and you don't know what your where your story's going, you're going to sit down and you're being like, "I don't know what to write." But it's the same with like a novel. If I don't know where I need this chapter to go or where this character needs to end up in 20 pages, I'm just going to stand there looking at the screen. So I need to build in the time to think about that. And for me, it's I do almost all of that while walking. You know, so I will take a long walk. And, and one of the things that I really needed when we moved, we used to live in Brooklyn and we moved out to up up the river to the Hudson Valley. And I wanted, I wanted a place where I could walk. Like I could walk to its coffee shop. I could walk to the library because that was a huge part of frankly, like my artistic process. So I do build that in at least once a week, maybe twice a week where I can take a long walk. And my focus is like, what's going on? What's the next sort of set that I need to work on in my novel? That's great. Okay. So deeper on the advisory side, and you know you you do this with journalists on a daily basis. But if we're reaching back to sort of a young audience, students about to graduate, looking for an internship, whatever it happens to be, what's the one primary piece of advice that you would that you you wish you could have given yourself? And recognizing that all the different folds and and wrinkles that happen along the way are appropriate and part of the process. But what's the one piece that you wish you'd go back and say, no, listen, know this because it will help you. What do you think? Well, I think that as an artist, it, and I, I think I said this before, almost anything you do is going to feed your art, right? Like, you you know, you're going to find, if you're an artist, you're always thinking about people and, and ideas and themes and working in interesting, often strange, maybe even considered, you know, boring or weird jobs is a great way to sort of feed your artistic ideas, right? So part of me is like, don't be don't be stressed if you don't get the great internship. Don't be, you know, like the first novel I wrote, which was terrible, but again, I needed to write it, was based almost entirely on the time in my life when I worked in a coffee shop. And I couldn't have written that book if I had not worked in that shop and met all those people. And frankly, a lot of those characters are have come back and I'm now, I'm writing my fifth novel now. And I'm taking bits from those times that I worked in coffee shops. I'm writing one of my characters works in a coffee shop. So 
I think, especially when, you know, if you're a Yale student, you've already put so much pressure on yourself constantly to like, you know, everybody around you is, oh, we're getting, you know, I'm getting an internship at Paramount or at Morgan Stanley or the New York Times. Like you're going to do fine, <laughs> you know, without that. I think that I, I do believe in having goals as much as possible. I think that it's like, it's, you know, it's tough to sort of get to the life or career you want if you don't really know what that is. But I do think that being flexible enough to change that is really important. You know, my career goal was different at 21 when I left college or 22 was, you know, I want to be a magazine writer and a novelist, right? And I kind of wanted to be in the glossies and I and write fancy stories for like Vogue and stuff. And that helped me with my first couple steps, but then that goal changed. But still what I had worked on, what I had done those three years previous, it wasn't wasted. You know, it was still work that could be translated. And the thing is with like resume, I mean, Derek, you know, this is a career counselor, <laughs> right? Like you can, you can like make some kind of work seem relevant to another right. kind of work and yeah. the skill set. I mean, a resume is another type of story, right? So yeah, yeah. exactly, exactly, exactly. You know, it, in a perfect world, you have an idea what you want to do and you know, you do your best to get on the first rung of the ladder. You know, maybe it's not the fanciest. I mean, when I, I remember, you know, Entertainment Weekly was a big deal, right? Like first out of college, I, that's a big magazine. I was really excited about that. But then my next job was at Redbook for middle-aged women that I'd never heard of. It was not what I had dreamed for myself, right? But it ended up, I mean, it really set me on the trajectory to get to the next magazine, which got me to the big story that changed my life. All of that path, do the work well, focus on being getting good at what you do every day, right. you know, just take it seriously, kind of whatever you do, try to take it seriously. Yeah. And if you burn out on it, or you get bored, move on. Right. I like too. you're talking about it also in terms of making sure that whatever, because the there's a variableness in this, right? Like, it's, it's going to look a lot of different ways. And you never know exactly what's coming right around the corner. But if you are determined, and deliberate, and and observant, particularly mm -hmm. as a writer, but as any creative, like that's what it is, right? Like it's almost like whatever that thing that winds up on the resume can be what it is, but what you get out of it can mm -hmm. be something so much more if you're determined, focused, you know, observant. Right, right. and you can sell that to your next employer. You know, you can say like, you want to hire me because I don't have the exact same resume as everybody else you've got on the, you know, I've got all this interesting other experience and I can bring a new perspective to your workplace or to your whatever. Right. And as a storyteller, you observe those details, which are going to be so winning in the story that you tell to get yourself into that interview. Exactly. That's great. That's great. Okay. In practice, then if we look at, is there an example of a, a decision slash we won't call it mistake because there are no mistakes, right? Like they, they all lead up to things. But along the way, is there a, a helpful example that, that you'd say, well, that's something that I did that not whether you change it or not, like I, I probably, if I advise someone, I'd, I'd, I'd want something different than that. Was there a misstep or or, or anything along the way that you'd, you'd, you'd identify or highlight? Well, there were a couple of times when I was at the New York Post when I crossed what I would call ethical lines and I did it. At my editor said, go do this. My very first day at the post, I call in, you call, you call in and you say, you know, hi, this is Julia. And, and they say, okay, go here and do this. And they said, go to Staten Island. There's a man there who that's just been released from prison after having been convicted of some kind of sexual abuse. He's apparently enrolled in the local university. Go there 
and ask him if he thinks the students at the college should be afraid of him. This is my first day. And so I drive to Staten Island and they said, hook up with the photographer. And so I go to Staten Island. I meet with the photographer who's this like Staten Island character. His name was Ron Starr. Actually, it was a different last name, but he went by Ron Starr. He was also like a trick motorcycle rider. <laughs> and he, I, I introduced myself. Hi, my name's Julia. And he immediately called me Jules. He was like, Jules, okay, here's what we're going to do. You knock on their door, bring them out into the light. I'm going to drive by, take a picture, and we both run. And I was like, this is not what they taught me in journalism school, but I did it. And it turned out they were in like the garage and I was like, hi, I'm from the near coast. And they just started screaming. They were like, I'm just trying to make my life better. So get away from me. You know, and then the, then Ron drives by and starts snapping pictures of them. And they're like, are you with him? Screaming. So I run. And I should have known then like, oh, wow, this is maybe not the job for me. Right, right, <laughs> um, right. But, um, but, but I had to do things like I remember they once bought me tickets to a Knicks game. And this was at a time when Isaiah Thomas was the coach and everybody, nobody wanted him to be the coach. So there were all these protests and they were like, go to the Knicks game. You need to make posters that say fire Isaiah. And you're going to, they got me floor seats. They spent like $500 or whatever it is to get floor seats. I had to stand on the, sit in the floor seat and hold up. They told me, hold up this fire Isaiah sign until they see how long it'll take for them to kick you out. I should have said, no, I should have said, that's not journalism. I'm not going to do that but I wanted to keep my job. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember leaving that and saying, I'm never doing that. Like, like that was the wrong thing to do. You know, no wonder everybody hates the media, right? Like doing stupid stunts like that. So I I guess from that last thing, I learned like if your ethical bells are going off, you can listen to them. And honestly, the next day, the editors were like, that was probably a really stupid idea. Yeah. I could have told you that. And I should have told him that. So having a little bit more, maybe, you know, I wish I had had more confidence in myself and my ability to say, no, I'm not going to do that. Mm-hmm. No, that's, and there's a pressure at that age to like, it's a job. You're supposed to do your job. Right. Like, you know, the distinction isn't like you should have quit that, you know, and, and gone and done something else immediately. It was, you should have had the conversation yeah, exactly. with the editor. You should have recognized like, we can talk right. about these things. I, I can have, I, I have the bells and the thoughts and the consciousness like is, is something I'm bringing yeah. to the table with. Now let's get back to your, your current writing, current, current passions, current, current right. projects. What's going on? What should we know about? Where can we find things or promotions or uh, tell, t- tell us more? Right. Well, I, my most recent novel um, is called The Missing Hours. It came out, I guess, September. And it's actually about a, a college student who's a victim of a sexual assault. And it's a thriller about the aftermath, what she does. So I'm still sort of, you know, promoting that. That'll come out and it's in hardcover now. It'll come out in paperback, but probably not till next year. And then I'm trying to finish a draft of my next book, which I'm really excited about. Also a murder mystery. It takes place in a, a small town. It actually has another, my first three novels, as I said, were a, a trilogy about a reporter kind of working for a tabloid like The Post who investigates murder in the Hasidic Jewish world of New York City. And that was a book where I did a ton of research because I am Jewish, but reformed Jewish. Like I, when I grew up, there were no Hasidic Jews. I didn't know anything about it, but I became very interested in them for various reasons. And I, I moved to New York City and all of a sudden there were all these people who sort of were wearing the black hats and the black coats. And I was like, they're Jewish, I'm Jewish, but we're totally different. What's the deal? And I just became really curious about their community and 
ended up writing three novels about it. But the, my most recent book was not about that world. And the book I'm writing now, though, it does have a main character who's a reporter. I really like writing about reporters. So this is another place where like my careers overlap. I think journalism is so important, right? Like we are a pillar of democracy. You know, if, if, the, if the public doesn't know what's going on, democracy falls apart. And, you know, and this is so evident now, right? It's more so than maybe ever in our world. But I have a lot of critiques of of the way the media works and journalism works and a lot of gripes about the way the world works that puts pressure on journalism and makes it sort of warp. So I'm writing a little bit about that in this book, but it is also just a very in some ways, traditional murder mystery. A young mother is found dead and there are questions. <laughs> and I'm really excited about it. It's, it's actually the first book that didn't come from all four of my previous novels, directly were inspired by articles I'd written as a, as a reporter and co- stories I'd covered that I felt like I really want to like go deeper into that story. And you're able to do that in fiction, right? You can climb inside people's heads and, you know, really get to their motivations. And what would they do if this, that, that what if question again. But this novel is taken a little more from my personal world, a little bit about parenthood and about being a mother and sort of what does it mean to be a good mother? And what does it mean to be a good parent or a bad parent? What does that do to your kid and, and stuff like that? So this is a, a book more more inspired by my my personal life. And it takes place in basically an unnamed town, but it's very much like the town I live in. So we'll see what happens <laughs> when it comes out. Right. And everybody's like, who's who in the novel? Right, right. But I'll probably be working on that for another year you know, doing, finishing the draft and then doing the revisions. Cause that's, a, you know, revisions are a huge part of this. You write a draft, you know, a good solid draft or maybe a second draft gets to your, your editor and then they have revisions. And if you're lucky and I'm very lucky, I have unbelievably talented a agent and editor who give me really good notes and always make my book better. So I'll go through that process. And then this new book will come out probably early 2024. But if you, you know, if you want to read my books, my website is just juliadahl.com. I'm on Twitter at juliadahl. It's pretty easy to find me. <laughs> Fantastic. Yes. And we'll, we'll drop that into the, the show notes as well. So we, uh, the, our listeners have like direct links to that. Julia, it has been such a pleasure. I look forward to staying connected with you, hearing what's happening, you know, uh, around your bend. And yeah, seeing the continued evolution. It sounds like you're ex- exploring different facets with the, each of your novels. You had the crime trilogy um, and then, you know, also crime fiction, but moving even even the writing process has changed with some of the things that you've done. And now you're branching into work that isn't isn't necessarily born of the journalism directly, but is still incorporating your life in really interesting ways. So look forward to hearing more and engaging you with our students sometime. I'm sure we can have you to campus and, and, and talk about that as well. I would love it. I love Yale. Thank you so much. Of course. Thanks again, Julia. And for all our craft and career podcast fans, we hope you've enjoyed this first season searching along with our fantastic fantastic guests for that elusive space shared between the creative and the professional. If you've just made it on, feel free to track back to all the episodes that have gotten us here. We'll put a link down in the show notes. It's been such a pleasure. And after what we hope to be a peaceful summer break, we'll look forward to picking it all back up in the fall. Until then, and as always, don't be afraid to use the word career and always stay crafty.